It's Barely in Topic, a podcast for Boston Bruins fans by Boston Bruins fans. Welcome to Barely in Topic. It's yet another week of social distancing. So much fun. So many things to do in my house and yours probably too. And I am here with Jeff. Howdy how. And Tim. Hello. What have you guys been watching lately? Now that we have all this time in our hands and no hockey to watch. Well, for me, I've actually been watching the entire series of uh, Chicago Fire. Oh. It's on Amazon Prime Video. If it's Well, the first six seasons are, anyway, are on Prime Video, uh, the IMDB channel, so there's minimal ads. So I've been watching that. I'm on season the end of season four. Um, I also watched uh, the season two of a show called Legacies, which is um, a spinoff of Vampire Diaries slash the originals. Um, that came on Netflix recently. Oh, and I also watched uh, the Big Show show. Um, so the WWE wrestler, the Big Show has a sitcom on Netflix now where he plays a himself, a retired big show from the WWE and um, how he's dealing with uh, retirement and such. It's um, quite a funny sitcom. I must say it was better than I expected because uh, let's face it. The big show isn't known for his cinematic genius. I would say there have a few wrestlers made cameos like Mick Foley was in it at one point um, and Mark Henry and they're just, yeah, it's just him as um, a retired WWE wrestler. So he kind of plays himself, but at the same time, it's like not real life. That's the part that confused me. I was like, is this like an actual, like, is this a reality show or what's going on? But nope, it's not. It's just him playing himself in the show. All right. I've been re-watching Community again, because now it's on Netflix. So I have to watch it on Netflix now, right? I have to. I finished up Shit's Creek this week with its finale. And I don't know how much... I mean, I, I don't want to spoil the finale for anyone. I just want to say that I guess... When when a series ends pretty perfectly, I don't have a need to revisit it right away. So I think it ended as perfectly as it probably could. And then we just watched How to Fix a Drug Scandal, which is a four-part miniseries on Netflix about the Massachusetts state drug lab scandals that happened earlier in this decade. So, or last decade, actually. Uh, here's an interesting thing. One of the people who was basically involved in that in the Amherst lab, Sonia Farrakh or Sonia Farrakh. I don't know how to say her name. It seems they said it two ways. Anyway, she went to the same high school that I did, but she's, she's like four years younger. So we did not go to school at the same time. Uh, she graduated valedictorian uh, at Portsmouth high down in Portsmouth, Rhode Island. That's our interesting connections to her. And uh, yeah, so it was really fascinating. And um what else have we been watching? We started watching something called Bruise Brothers, which is 
just kind of dumb, but it's like entertaining kind of dumb, but it has one guy who you really just want to punch in the face. So he's awful. Uh, we're watching it. It's like eight episodes. Not doing a lot of binging, but that's okay. How about you, Jeff? Our um uh, our weeknight regimen anyway has been uh, an episode of, of of Master Chef Australia, which is just fantastic, and they're like sixty five episode seasons. Oh my god! Yeah, they air five times five days a week for like twelve weeks. Wow. Yeah, starting from twenty four contestants, but so by the end you're like super fucking invested, and like you've really watched these people evolve as cook as chefs. It's wonderful. It really is. Plus, like they, they, you see, cook with so much like diversity of, of Asian cuisines you don't see ever cooked in the North American versions. Mm. They have a diversity of, of different challenges and so forth because the tool is basically structured as a first week, first cook of the week is a mystery box and then an invention test. The best three from all that go on to a, a immunity challenge where they get if the winner can get a pin to a well anyway or a which is played like the Wednesday the Tuesday is an elimin it's a pressure test elimination so basically they're given some super complicated horrific professional um, professional chef's uh, uh, recipe that can take up to five six hours to complete mm. first one goes home. Wednesday immunity challenge. So three guys, so three or four contestants compete to be able to compete, cook against a professional chef. And if they top the professional chef, they get a pin that gets them out of. They can they can tap them out of an elimination at any point in the uh, in the show, barring the final. And then like team challenges, and then an elimination for the worst team in the team challenge. It's very. And then an entire episode just teaching, which oh. they call their master classes. It's wonderful. It really is. Like, even without trying to specifically replicate things, it's really changed how I go about cooking a lot of stuff. It's really cool. Anyway, so watch an episode of that. And then, you know what I didn't watch when it was airing, but it's really great? It's Agent Carter. Ah, yes. So, yeah, season two sort of, and, like, not necessarily weird. It's not as good. Season one was just magnificent. Okay. Like, that show didn't get talked about enough when it was airing. <laughs> I think it's on Disney+. Plus. Ooh. It is. That's where we're watching it now. And holy crap, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll add it to the. I honestly, I'll add it to the list. It's it's not a superhero movie because no one in it's you know. Well, I mean, I guess some of the villains do, but like you know, she's just you know. It is the Agent Carter from the first movie. So yes. Huh. No, no, I was just saying to him. So yeah, I think that Glenn liked that, and he also liked Agents of Shield a little bit more than I did. I've heard very mixed things about Agents of Shield, so I've just been in no hurry to get into it. <laughs> I liked the first two seasons of Agents of Shield. After that, it just got it just went wild, and like it was it was hard to keep following it because of like all the different like shit that was brought up. I guess I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but like like the first two seasons were awesome. I thought, and then after that, it was just like eh. Yeah, I I haven't really watched Agents of Shield. I guess I I like the like the bombast of the actual superheroes and not the behind the scenes thrilling stuff or not so thrilling stuff at times. Agent Carter's great because it's a it's more film noir than it is spies, except with you know some you're clearly in the Marvel universe aspects to it, obviously. Mm. So it's a it's good, and it's 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 it's, it's, it's a good cast too. Oh well, good, good. And then, and then, because uh, Julie doesn't like uh, watching things with in which people get shot or killed right before bed, we watch one episode of The Ranch, even though part of my soul dies every every time I watch that show. <laughs> oh, the show it's amusing, but like up. it hurts. <laughs> I get it. We haven't gotten to when Danny Masterson is was defenestrated on account of being Danny Masterson, but uh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
I'm assuming that it goes happens. down bad at that point. <laughs> Actually, no. Who knew that he was such a piece of shit? Um, it, I mean, all the, all the signs were there. <laughs> but Dax Shepard t- kind of takes his place on the show, and I like him a lot. So He's married to Kristen Bell. Who's also fantastic. So I, Yeah, I love Kristen Bell. I just do. Anyway, well, okay, that's cool. You know, sometimes being part of a couple means watching something for the other person that you don't necessarily want to watch. Well, well, well there's this. Yes, that's all structured to be able to check off both of, all of our needs. And then again, the last one is just like, you know, so the most recent thing is, is harmless. So, yeah, I mean, Glenn has some things that he watches and I am just like, nah, you know what? Like, you can watch that when I'm not around or I will go into another place in the house and you can watch this. I just, it's not for me. And that's okay. Some things it's just like, it's like, oh, God, I hate this so much, but I know you like to watch it, so I'm not going to sit here and be a dick, right? I mean, one other thing we watched recently, we watched um, Uncut Gems. I wasn't going to make her watch it originally, but we did. Holy fuck, I don't think I've... uh, There are not a lot of more movies that are more cynical than that one. (laughs) Wow, it's right in your wheelhouse. But that is fucking cynical. Jesus Christ. Like, like, like... Adam Sandler's character is such a bad person, but bad things ha- keep happening to him for no fault of his own. Oh, I'm not going to spoil the end, but I'm just like, oh, see, that, that almost felt unnecessary. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> I don't know. I hear a lot of people talking about that, but I haven't seen that yet. You know what I watched uh, on Saturday while I was doing some pie baking? I decided to honor our Lord and Savior, Tony Stark, by watching at least one of the infinity war movies where he was still alive i forgot to watch the second one i didn't have three hours to spare i i baked two pies this weekend with varying success my first pie that i've ever made that it was my own very own recipe right it was a hit and not for me I, i gave it to my friends who love my experimental pies the virginia lemon pie that is what I call it. It's like it's like the prog rock of pies. <laughs> it has a gingerbread, a crushed gingerbread cookie crust, which they said was a little too thick. That's fine. I can take an ounce or two off of that. That's fine. Cool. I, I, I like the criticism. They said, don't change a thing about the filling. Here's what I did with the filling. I made it like a key lime pie, but I used lemon. It was fantastic. It was like they said, don't change a thing about the filling. That was perfect perfect because they knew it was a lemon pie so i guess it came through now i guess the question there was as i know the last thing you have an interest was the whipped cream the right color or would you have been better off with a with meringue there no whipped cream is the right call in that because every okay. time you make something that's a key lime pie the custard is going to be that right mix of sweet and not bitter but sour tart? i guess yeah tart sweet and tart that you the whipped cream just kind of gives it this like just uh other kind of flavor profile it's like fatty creamy stuff i find that unless it's lemon unless it's just straight up lemon curd right for a lemon meringue pie don't use meringue but just don't don't put meringue on a lime pie don't put meringue on an orange pie necessarily whipped cream i want to try this recipe with a blood orange as well because i love blood orange i'm dying to do something interesting with it So anyway, so I did that and then I did the whipped cream and this is the specialty to this pie. The whipped cream, I used a leaf tip uh, in my pastry bag and I had to relearn how to pull leaves again because it's really just pulling. Mm -hmm. 
so it, it looks like a daisy because daisy is my favorite flower. So, yep, my very first pie that I made that's all me. Nice. Very excited. It was so good. I imagine that you could make the crust with crumbled ginger snaps if you want. It might actually be even better, but just not graham crackers. Just use some other gingery thing. I wanted the ginger and lemon play. There we go. Okay, so, yep, and then I made a Meyer lemon pie yesterday, which I totally overcooked the pie shell because I followed instructions, but not, I, I should have kind of held back a little bit. Mistakes are part of the process. Uh, it's been a long time since I fully baked off a shell, and then I realized I probably shouldn't have fully baked it off, but I had a, a Meyer lemon curd that I put in that with more whipped cream. That was our pie, and it was tasty, so... Speaking of pies, yes. So in my dream last night, part of my dream, I joined a some type of pie of the week, pie of the month club. Mm. And the only part about that part of the dream that I woke up vividly remembering is me telling someone that I may have just joined a pie cult, but they just don't. I they taste so good, I just don't care. <laughs> I think a pie cult is a fantastic thing. We should, so, we should do that. Yep. The pie Nothing. is good. The pie is great. <laughs> the pie is good. The pie is great. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I like to make myself a pie. I like to make other people a pie. I like, I like making pie. I like eating yeah, it. I still think... Uh, still think your, your, your pie food truck, the, the emancipation pie clamation or whatever it is yeah. we called it. <laughs> I thought it was the declaration, dec no, I don't know, declaration of independence. Maybe. Because you wrote it basically based on the declaration of independence. You did. You wrote all that. It's in the Twitter. No, I think I wrote it was the preamble I used. All right. Yeah, we the people. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. We the people. Yeah, I do. I need to do that. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, I like to bake all sorts of other things too, but I'm trying not to be... I'm trying to just continue to lose weight during this whole process because I've lost six and a half pounds Woo! since my physical, like almost a month ago. So that's good. I'm not stress eating because I'm not particularly stressed out. I I have a lot of empathy for what's going on with a lot of people in this world. And I feel like first responders and uh, our medical people, they are doing fantastic jobs. I feel for them because they are so on the verge of being burnt out. And I, I but they're doing a fantastic job and, and despite all the circumstances. So just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, I agree. I'm just doing my part. I can't believe that being really patriotic right now is just sitting at home. But here we are. It is. You can be VA from PI. Yeah. <laughs> 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 there we go. <laughs> Man, I got to tell you, I do miss Rhode Island this week for some reason. I don't know. Anyway. All right. I think we have to start talking about other stuff in this podcast. And one of the unfortunate, really terrible, tragic things that happened this week. I think we're going to start off with that. Colby Cave, former Bruins player who signed as a free agent out of the WHL, was it? Yeah. Um, yes. 
He'd uh, played on the same team as Jake DeBrusque in Jake DeBrusque's uh, last year in the dub, which is probably a big part of why the team signed him, because they would have seen a fair bit of him that year. Mm-hmm. And they were roommates, and, and Colby Cave turned out to be roommates with a lot of people down in Providence and up here in, in the Boston area. So, you know, he I think he played for the Bruins organization for about five or six years in some capacity. He did make it to the NHL. Uh, scored his first NHL goal in against the Habs in Montreal. So Colby Cave this week, unfortunately, passed away. It's uh, it happened kind of suddenly for him. He he had a brain bleed, uh, of which they did some, on which they did some emergency surgery. Turned out he had a colloid cyst in his brain. And if you wanted to know what that is, that is a cyst that develops between the ventricles of the brain. And it, it's not a huge tumor. It can be very small, but it blocks off the flow of cerebral spinal fluid between the brain and the, the spinal cord and, and such. So what happens is when that, when that happens, there's a great amount of pressure that builds up in the brain. And when the, cyst bursts that often results in death of the individual. It sounds like he had gone to the hospital. Uh, apparently he went to seek medical help. They discovered the brain, uh, brain bleed, did the surgery and put him in a medically induced coma on Tuesday. And they tried to take him out of the medically induced coma and couldn't. Uh, so he passed away on, on Saturday. he was only 25. He's going to be 26 later this year. Had only been married for just a few months shy of his, uh, of one year. Uh, and all of the people came out of the woodwork to talk about what a good guy he was. It is just such a, such a profound and tragic loss because he was so young. He worked so hard to get there. Well, apparently every time he got called up, he would like first thing go around like garden and talk to all of the, all the training staff and stuff and like, you know, give them hugs and stuff and thank them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know that we had for a long time, we had a running thing where we called him Colby Covey. I I was a little worried you were going to drop that on me and I was going to have to tell you too soon, but I'm glad you were doing it this way. (laughs) It was not a joke about him. It was a joke about... It was a joke about Jeff and, and Ben. It was not a joke about him. We were not trying to make fun of him. I will never call him that ever again. Um, I don't know how many times I'll talk about Colby Cave, but I will say the whole time I thought about him this week, I thought of him as Colby Cave. But I just feel like he's such a, a wonderfully nice guy, just working hard, just trying to to make it and stay, stay in the NHL because, the the you know, he... He did his time in the AHL, but he was going back and forth. And while being um, picked up by Edmonton, probably did him favors in that regard in the long run. Yep. Because um, he, he probably played more NHL games since getting picked up by Edmonton than he would have if he'd stayed, if he'd stayed in Boston system. Probably. Almost certainly, in fact. But <sighs> It was too much of a fight to keep him up because there were other people in the way. But he did get to play in the Winter Classic, which was a pretty big thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. He filled in admirably. 
Don Sweeney had nothing but good things to say about him. Well, all of the the Bruins did. He's he's well. Let me go get what he said because I liked what he said. Also, just to say, like about the guy he was, his last three years in Providence, so 16, 17, 17, 18, and 18, 19, he was an assistant captain. Wow. So that's kind of how they thought of him. When he had was given the A in 16, 17, it was only his second season in Providence. So that kind of shows <coughs> what they thought of him down there. And kind of what the organization felt about him. He's one of those guys who, character-wise, is not easy or maybe even irreplaceable. Okay, this is what Don Sweeney happened to say. And by the way, did you know that Mayor Walsh even tweeted about him? I was saddened to hear the news that Colby was unable to awaken from his coma and has passed away. Colby was a special person. He is signed with the Bruins as an undrafted player, but his accomplishments in the WHL told a different story. His leadership qualities were beyond his years. When he arrived at development camp and in Providence for the 2015-16 season, he exhibited Patrice Bergeron-like characteristics on and off the ice. There were three exclamation marks in that, that first paragraph. It's very uncharacteristic of Donnie. Driven and committed to be an NHL player, Colby was also uniquely unselfish with his own NHL dream, helping his teammates and his coaches game by game and day by day. Colby's red hair underneath that freaky blinders brimmed hat during the team's march into Notre Dame Stadium for the Winter Classic is a special memory. Not because the Bruins won that day, but because I know Colby cherished the opportunity to play in that game. The hockey world lost a great person who is beloved by his teammates and everyone that was fortunate enough to spend time with Colby Cave. It's. The world doesn't make sense sometimes, and this is one of those times. Bad things happen, and bad things happen to good people. Obviously, we all feel for Colby's family and uh, his wife, Emily send out all of our love to them because it is it is truly tragic what do we know about what's going on with the rest of the season so of course there have been um, uh, some word from Elliot Friedman that the league was exploring unconventional sites to do an entire tournament style playoffs and that Friedman had suggested they were looking at Grand Forks, North Dakota and Manchester, New Hampshire. I've since heard, I have since heard that Manch Vegas was never actually on the table. Um, Apparently, according to my parents, that a statement from SNHU arena was that they hadn't been approached by the NHL. And if they were the end, if they had been, the answer would have been no. Damn snow arena. The hell? But again, they hadn't been approached. So Freeman was reporting internal rumors, not actual, like, fully cultivated ideas. Hmm. Which is reasonable, I guess. But I remember thinking the idea was only great in the respect that it would be fun to have the Vegas Golden Knights play in Manch Vegas, New Hampshire. 
But like, I can see the reasoning behind like some players like Grand Forks, North Dakota, North Dakota. The entire point is finding a capable arena that you can you have the game and broadcast it, but it's a natural population area. Manchester didn't really check that last box. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't understand the reasoning. Okay, with North Dakota, were they going to play? Was in theory, were they going to play where the University of North Dakota plays? Is that in Grand Forks? Grand Forks. Anytime oh. there's been international tournaments in North Dakota, it's at Grand Forks. So we know it's a must be a decent facility, right? Uh, World Juniors and World Juniors of various kinds have been played there. Oh, maybe I guess I only thought of North University of North Dakota because I'm pretty sure they have like a a really nice like arena. That might That's be like Grand relatively Forks. Hang on. relatively new. Oh, that, that is Grand. That is Grand Forks. Yes, I wasn't okay, sure. If, yeah. if, I wasn't sure if Nodak was in Grand Forks or in Fargo. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Ralph Engelstad Arena. And again, that's, that's place been used for international tournament play before. Usually, World Junior, but, but specifically World Juniors under 18s and so forth, right? Right. Yeah, and yeah, that's right. It only opened in 2001. I thought it was relatively new. So yeah, it's. It definitely could house it. The outside of it looks nice. Holy cow! I had, I I knew it was nice, but holy cow! It it's kind of hard to distinguish that as a college uh, arena. But yeah, so I don't know. I mean, that's all we've really heard so far. But like, I I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I think they're just giving us false hope. I mean, while it's heartbreaking, I don't think it's going to happen. But like, it's it. It sucks as a Bruins fan because, like, okay, this team probably has it in them to make a run next year, but this may well have been our last chance, depending on what happens with Tory Krug. True. Oh uh, yeah. And, and while it doesn't sound like Charles will retire if the season's canceled or possibly at all this season, like the man's on borrowed time already. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's it's tough. It, I think the next sport that starts playing, honestly, is going to be football. I think the baseball season ends up getting scrapped. Baseball's been the most specific in terms of playing this, like, neutral site, everyone playing in one place talk, right? Yeah, they've they've talked about um, Arizona as that place because a lot of – when you have spring training, half the league has their spring training in Arizona, half has it in Florida. Well, we're not going to obviously have it in Florida because – well, they're idiots out there. And Arizona was that place they were talking about, and they were talking about splitting up divisions differently than, like, because, like, normally you have the American League East, which has, like, the Red Sox, Yankees, Orioles, Rays, and Blue Jays. They were thinking about breaking up divisions for the season based on where your spring training locate team's location is. Um, oh, the Red Sox and um, the Minnesota Twins, they technically share a city there. And it was a couple of, there was three other teams in their area that was going to be in the division. But it was going to be just randomly split up like that and then have a playoff and then go for it. But I just, I can't see that happening. I just think that the most realistic sport to start playing again next is the NFL. Yeah. MLB season hadn't started officially before they they postponed the games 
So I'm not even sure what the purpose of running these games in these alternate places would be if you can't have people going to them. Because aren't you supposed to be making money on this? I, I sit there and I'm like, there, it's one thing if you're talking about the NBA and the NHL, which were pretty much done with their regular seasons and we're heading into the playoffs. That's one thing. But if you haven't even started playing yet, I don't know what the wisdom is there. You know? There's actually two reasons. Okay, I, I would like to hear them. Uh, the first one is uh, MLB came to an agreement that players under contract, even if the season is canceled, it still burns a year of their contract. Mm. So, for example, uh, in, in an idiotic, crazy move, the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts to the Dodgers. Yep. If the season is canceled... Mookie Betts is would is a free agent at the end of the year anyway. If the season is canceled, he could de- he would then be free to sign anywhere. So he could end up being in the Dodgers organization, being healthy, but not playing a single game for them at all. And they traded as- assets to get him. So there's that whole aspect. And the second part is, while the Players Association and MLB agreed to that, the other thing is... Major League Baseball has is they don't have a salary cap, but they have a salary tax rule. And if you spend over a certain amount of money each year, you have to pay a certain amount of that. I think first year, first offense, you have to pay like 25% of the amount that you went over. Second offense is like 50% of the amount that you went over. Plus you forfeit some draft picks and international spending money. Well, if the season is canceled, that's not going to reset for teams that got under the salary tax threshold for this season. Okay. So they would still have to basically operate 2021 like 2020 because it didn't actually count for getting under the salary tax threshold. It didn't reset it because there was no season. So those are the two major reasons why uh, teams are pushing for it so teams can reset their whole salary tax thing and then start spending more again. And then also because players, it burns a year of their contract. Yeah, see, I guess I was ha- happy enough for the Red Sox fans who hated the Mookie Betts trade that maybe Mookie wouldn't play a game for the uh, for the Dodgers. <laughs> and And yeah, that's the thing. Because a lot of Red Sox fans want, we're, we're hoping that at the end of the year, that, well, since the Red Sox reset their salary tax penalties back to zero, they'd be able to re-sign him now. Even though they traded him, go out and sign him back. If the season's canceled, that's not possible at all because they would still have to stay under salary tax threshold to be able to reset the penalties again. Mm. Okay. Maybe baseball fans will be very lucky and get their sport back in some capacity. And maybe if the NHL is lucky, we might get middle of the summer hockey. Here's the thing about we do this. Do you know how unwatchable the 2021 season is going to be? Yes. Very. It'll yes, be I absolute do. pro. I mean, don't get me wrong. It'll be absolute profound chaos, which I'm here for. But, like, the teams that go to the cup final will be fucking terrible for the next season. Behold your 2021 
Stanley Cup winner, the Detroit Red Wings. But like seriously though, like you could look at your cup winner ending up being end up winning the lottery the next year because of this. Easily. <laughs> I I saw I was talking to someone, I forgot who it was, who suggested that they still start playing games in the middle of the summer. So, you know, you have a, a small a few games uh to gear up for the playoffs and you have the playoffs and then next season be a shortened season. So you plan on it being shortened that way, you know, okay, there's only going to be X amount of games a season. So you're planned for it. And then that's how they kind of reset everything. I am here for a 60 to 62 game season. I have been wanting that for a long time. 82 is taxing. Yes. And I wouldn't change the playoffs, although there's definitely an argument to move more towards a number of game ramp over the course of the series, uh, over a series to series like the AHL does. But like, I kind of like the playoffs the way they are. But it would be nice if they started at the beginning of March and ran until mid-May instead of the second week of April until the third week of June. <laughs> well, they might have to look at if you know when they continue play if they decide they want to do a playoff thing. They might have to revamp the, the playoff process, like make the the first rounds shorter and the, the last uh, later rounds longer. The one thing I'll be ripshit angry if they do is this fucking 12 teams make it or playoff play in bullshit. If you look at the standings, can you play someone please explain to me in what universe the Hab should make the Eastern playoffs? Because if you extend it to twelve, they make it, and they're over ten. And they're hang on, I'll pull it up before I say it, before I say an incorrect number. But like they are so comically far out of the picture that like this this ten team. I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to help the West, which is a fucking mess. But in the East, this this approach will not work. Anyway, the Cubs currently have seventy one points. They are ten points behind the number eight team. In no universe should twenty four teams make this play make this playoff tournament. Fuck that no i'm i'm fine with 16 but i'm also fine with the idea that maybe the first round is three or five games and not seven. Oh yeah but like i'm looking at this like like there's no good reason for the isles the rangers florida and and, and montreal to make the to be in the playoffs like if you're going to do that like every at that point like almost everyone in the east except ottawa and detroit should all right so why don't we talk about what we think should happen in this truncated time frame, you know, let's assume they're, they they can get camps going in like late July and they start playing or I mean, they start playing in July somehow. Right. Let's let's talk okay. about that. So I'm in favor of just ending the regular season with the singular caveat that not all the teams have played the same number of games. Right. There are teams that have played as few as uh, 68 games, I believe. Yeah, Carolina's played only 68 games, whereas there are other teams that have played 71. A mini, like, so I don't know how to do this. I think what you want to do is you got to get everyone up to 72 games. Yep. Even though I think that they should just write off the regular season, because, like, do you really think anyone who plays for the Wings wants to go back and play more games? Now let no. them rest up for their Stanley Cup run next year. Yeah. Second of all, no games with the number of no, no don't play games with the number of teams that make the playoffs. None of this play in round bullshit. No one actually fucking wants that. Does anyone who plays for who watches football like the wild card? I never really watch it. My husband does. Well, 
This and, is more football. But guess what? We're adding more teams to the NFL playoffs probably next season. So, hey. Fuck it. <laughs> We're on the brink of being able to actually only have half the NHL make the playoffs for the first time in God knows how long. Once Seattle starts playing. Let's yep. not fucking mess with this. All this notion of, of all these ideas and suggestions of playing rounds and stuff. And these are things that they're talking about for as permanent solutions. Like they were talking about this before the shutdown, right? Are just bad. Don't fucking do it. I don't want to do it. No. No. Like, like the bottom line is like even at 16 teams, like those last couple teams that slip in tend to be pretty shitty and have no business being there. All right, Jeff. I, I think that Tim, can you agree with this? No playing. Yeah, no playing. Okay, that. all I'm right. Not... So we're just going to talk about sixteen. We're, we all agree on no playing. I agree on the idea of. I agree on the idea of getting rid of like any games that count towards anything for for the regular season. The regular season is for all intents and purposes done. But I'm going to add that I'm going to go on winning percentage. So it pretty much keeps most of those teams that are now in. the only thing about that is win percentages does do some fucky things like so right now in the east the isles have 68 games played and 80 po- and 80 points columbus has 70 games played and 81 guess which one would make that it would make the playoffs with the um uh, with with a with a um, points percentage versus raw points oh columbus no isles would oh i'm sorry two fewer ga- with two fewer games played and only one fewer point oh okay all right well so like Figuring out who makes it is a challenge again because not because you have a range from 68 to 71 games played across the league. Fortunately, it could be worse. There were points this season where there were like six, but where there were six game played spreads, right? Right. But I don't know how to fix that. I'm not in favor of any of the obvious ways to fix it either. So it's a bit of a situation. <laughs> I just really hate to do the idea of like let everybody play up to 72 games, and I'm just like I'm done with. Regular season. I've been done with well, regular well, again, season for a couple uh, months. Detroit's played seventy-one. Like, dude, no one in Detroit wants to come back and play a game at this point. No. So just, I guess, just take the the current, I guess, by points percentage is the only fair. I can't. I don't know. What you, I don't even know which one's more fair. I would say what I want to do is I want to do points percentage, but I also want to do for the teams making the playoffs. I want maybe like two games to gear up for it. So like. Like two exhibition games, maybe three. Two is probably enough, though, just to kind of get your feet under you because you're going to need some type of training camp again, obviously, after being away for so long. I want a couple games because otherwise the playoffs are going to be, well, they're going to be anyway if we have them, are going to be just utter chaos. It's going to be sloppy otherwise. I, I have no problem with the exhibition games because I can choose whether or not I want to watch those. And I can choose whether or not I want to watch, you know, regular season games, I guess, at this point. But I'm just ready for the playoffs. I just want the playoffs to happen. I don't want more than the 16 teams that make it in there. I also really hate the idea of playing in the dead of summer when it's just like the ice is going to be goop and it's just slush and no fun. But it's going to take like a zillion dollars to to cool each place down but I'm not really a big fan of that but i also feel like at this point it's like that first round hate to say it, it's got to be a best of three just got to be a best of three you, you second round and beyond you can go best of five you know definitely by the final though by the final it has to be a seven a full seven that's fine so three five seven seven is what you're thinking there that, yes yes that's what i'm thinking i'm not really in favor of going all the way down to three I would because do five. Gets, 
for yeah, three years starting to get into random res- into randomized results. Five, yeah. it should five's long enough to revert to the mean, more or less to revert to the mean. Sometimes it takes seven, but five's closer. I would do five, five, seven, seven. I think, which is that's what I would do. Still accelerated relative to the HL. The HL's five, seven, seven, seven. Ugh. Major League Baseball is five, seven, seven as well. I would do five, five, seven, seven. If they even if they wanted to do five, 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 seven, I would even get on board with that. I just want the Stanley Cup final to at least be seven. Oh yeah, agreed completely on that one. Yeah, I think the conference final and the final should also be just should both be seven, right? That's fair. But I, I'm gonna tell you, I really, I don't know if I give a shit enough about the first round to make it five. You know, there's the thing about it, and like I appreciate the amount of chaos that happens in the first round, and first round playoff hockey is is just fucking wonderful. But a, this isn't gonna have the usual like storyline ho- ho- hoot nanny nonsense that that a first round does so mm-hmm. preserving it for we should preserving the first round for being the glory that it usually is isn't probably not worth it in this case Mm-mm. yeah three's too short but five i'm in favor of well if you dear listeners disagree or agree with us you can tell us on our twitter facebook and other places i guess but anyway yeah i just wanted to talk about that because it is on my mind still, but I haven't heard anything else, uh, really, relative to what's going to happen. I have more hockey stuff. Okay. Our captain, Zdeno Chara, had a Instagram post this morning. It state, it's a picture of him and Tuka Rask, and it states, The other day, I've been asked if I think Tuka can get us to win another championship. This season, Tuca ranks first in goals against average amongst goalies with more than 15 games played, 2.22 goals against. With his excellent performance, he helped our team to be leader in points around the NHL. So there's your answer. Tuca is Boston Wall. Yeah, that's good for him to, to have said that. And it's also great for him to say that, especially since he let in on the secret of Tuca's farts. Um <laughs> <laughs> It's a good question to ask him. I would rather that we ask the players about that rather than, you know, take the word of Joe Haggerty, who had to stick another knife in it. God, I can't stand that guy. Anyway, I think Tuca can win a championship. I think his team needs to show up in front of him in a game seven. He needs his teams to not be, you know, broken in front of him by the time they get to there. Exactly. That's true. And both times that's been the case is the, the team guys were dying on their skates at the, by, by the time they lost it. And yet Tuca's the one that got to blame both times. Like, that's not fucking fair. That whole top line was so injured that they just, they could go out, but they weren't going to be anywhere near effective. And then you know what? The other players needed to step up, step the fuck up. And that's been the problem. Well, here's the thing about Rask's playoff series losses as a starter. And there's, of course, 2010 Eastern Conference semifinals against the Flyers. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, this is a game where they dressed fucking Trent Whitfield as one of the centers because Krejci was now injured, was injured at this point. <sighs> Poor Mark Savard was playing despite the fact he clearly should not have been, etc., etc. His so, next playoff series loss would have, well, would have been against Chicago in 2013. Chara wow. and Bergeron were about to die to varying degrees. Bergeron was in the hospital for almost a week. Yeah. And there were certain other players who should have probably have been benched in favor of younger players at that point in the series as well. I'm not going to say names, but anyway, 
Um, I, I think there's a strong case that at that point, Dougie probably should have been being playing over Ferenc. I'm sorry, VA. <laughs> oh, my God. You just... And possibly just... even Bartkowski. <laughs> oh, God. Fuck you, Bart. No, not just fuck you, Bart. <laughs> fuck you, Chad, for your daggers today. Ow. Why would you say that to... Uh, oh, God. I... Uh, the Ferenc thing over... Uh, oh, Dougie. No. God. Uh, I'm not I, wrong. Maybe on the Bart one, but like Bart can go to hell. <laughs> Isn't he playing in Minnesota? Uh... He deserves it. You know, he's playing in Iowa mostly. He's, he's... Well, he, he deserves that even Minnesota, more. So anyway, and then let's see. Let's see. After that, 2014 against the Habs. Well, let's just fuck that entire Bruins team. Like fuck it, top to bottom. Rask could have been better, but literally everyone could have played better that, ser- that series. Yes. I've never seen a closer series, a closer seven-game series that at no point did one did the losing team feel like they were in control of the series than that one. Yeah. <laughs> that one game I went to, though, that was so fun. <laughs> um, on top of that, of course, we can keep going. I can keep going. His next uh, playoff series loss was against the Senators with, well, that defense no was one? in rough, rough shape. And of course, it was a year one Guy Boucher team, which is what they do. And, and let's see, there's okay next year against Tampa. Well, that team was in rough shape as well, and it just was not up to the challenge of that opponent yet. Nope. nope. And then same. There was the top line was all in all in agonizing pain, and in at least one case, Brad making bone making impossibly boneheaded decisions. <laughs> so like I. I don't really feel comfortable pinning a single one of Rask's playoff losses, uh, playoff series losses on him. Individual games, sure, but the series overall, no, not one of them. No, Tuka Rask was not the problem in Game Seven last year. He was not the problem. The Bruins were the problem. Basically, everybody in front of him was the problem. Well, not everybody, but most of them. So we just need to get rid of that narrative right now, and. Of course, Hags had to bring it up again because he's a complete douche nozzle dickhead. Yes. You said you weren't going to name names and you did. Screw Bart. Well, the look you gave me, you gave me no choice. Screw <laughs> Bart. No. You're mean. I will say this. I remember the 2010 one so vividly because the night of game seven, I was in a hotel room in Manchester, New Hampshire. And the very next day was my college graduation. Oh. So I was in a hotel room watching that game, eating a sub from USA Subs. And yeah, it was bad. Well, too bad that didn't work out for you, but congratulations on gra- graduating. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's the only reason why I remember it so vividly. It was the night before graduation. So well, let's talk about the Tory Krug situation. Oh yeah, there was that there was that Sweeney breast conference this week. There's like a bunch of things that came out of that, wasn't there? There was. Actually, I didn't pay too much attention to that, I guess, but there were fewer stories about the press conference than one would expect, to be honest. Like even the Athletic didn't have like a full like rundown of it even though there was all sorts of exciting tidbits. Like I don't think Ty had an article on it either. I don't and and I've just more or less stopped reading Kalman cuz he's just edging ever increasingly towards Hag's territory. Oh, wait, wait, I take it back. Ty did have articles. It just didn't come out until like a couple days after all that. So I'd stopped looking. <laughs> oh, here we go. Okay, I think I got it. 
It looks like it was from three days ago. So what's uh, today, the 13th? So it looks like it was the 10th. Oh, okay. First of all, let's talk about what he said about Kevin Miller. So Kevin Miller, um, even if the league comes back and it doesn't matter when, will not be playing again this season. No. Which, like, um, we call um, uh, your uh, your favorite podcast listeners, we called this in, like, October. Yep. We started making all sorts of funny things about what could be happening to him. But the reality I is... Say he did. I say he did. He's dead. <laughs> He's dead. Kevin's had some setbacks. I don't believe at this time that it will be in his best interest to try and ramp up in a short span with hopes of playing this year. That is what Don Sweeney said on the conference call. Now... Interestingly, his follow-up on the same matter was, our intentions are for Kevin to be 100% healthy so he can resume when we start the next season. We know that Kevin is UFA, so we will entertain the opportunity to bring Kevin back. And he will also entertain whether or not he wants to be back. I'm sorry, no, Kevin Miller's career is almost certainly over. Everyone probably needs to accept that. <laughs> I would think so. And I, I, they're not going to be anywhere close to what he makes right now if they offer him a contract. Well, that's just I, I would be genuinely upset if the team offered him anything more than league minimum, because I don't believe he'll be a fact. Even if he can come back, I don't think he'll be above replacement level anymore. No, he hasn't played in a year over a year. Yeah, like he hasn't played since like maybe February of last year. So it's we're No, it was closer to the end of season. So like um, about thir- third week of March or so, I think it was very late when he went on the first on the first kneecap break. And then this and then the rebreak was during the conference finals right right but you can also understand they had a lot of different things that went on last year too so he was in and out of the lineup oh yeah the first kneecap break was like right after he'd come back from something else yes he had broken his hyoid i think and there was a concussion in there as well and stuff right he basically got hit by a bus oh yeah he'd he'd gone through shit that would kill a terminator last season let's just call it what it is maybe sweeney is just a really big fan of martian milko so he wants to keep it together. <laughs> um, the other thing I would say, I think, is this: the, the way he's worded this doesn't really sound like they intend to sign him back. Is like they're going to have conversations, but like, what GM, unless they're a, a fail, unless they're a crashing team trading a, a an expiring player, doesn't always sound like they're going to try to re-sign everyone until days before, until days before free agency. Like last year, the Bruins were still talking to, to, to Marcus Johansson and, and, and Noel Achari until like right up until the end. And, we, and it was painfully obvious neither was going to happen. A lot was made of it. I don't believe it. I don't think he plays again. And even if he does, I don't think the Bruins resign him. There's just not – like I get it. The Bruins aren't great, particularly deep on the right side. But Lausanne looks like he's ready to go for the position for 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 for, for a three right for for third line right d even though he's left shot absolutely well we've got connor clifton and we've got jeremy lozon so we've gotten younger at that position what is connor clifton like a naturally a righty no he's, he's a lefty who play who's played a lot of right okay and same thing with lozon right yes and incidentally both of our new signings so both Nick Wolf and 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 Jake and Jack Ashan are both lefty. Interesting. We've got lots of lefts. Always do. It's a, sort of a weird thing. There's not a lot, you know. There's always a shortage of right shot defensemen in the league, but it seems disproportionately the superstar defensemen are all right shots. Really? Not all, but like a lot of them. Carlson, Subban, I think Doty might be. I too, I got to check that. But like, 
like they, they, there is a there is a trend to to an certain extent of your star defensemen seem to have a habit of being right defense right shots. Okay. Don Sweeney happened to say this about Tory Krug. Because last week Tory Krug on the the media Zoom call said that he hoped he hadn't p- played his last game as a Bruin and that they weren't talking. There were no contracts go- uh, talks going on currently, which is like, what the fuck, Donnie? What else do you have to do right now? Right? I dearly hope Tory hasn't played his last game this year or going forward, Sweeney said during a video conference with the media. This is from Ty Anderson, by the way. He's been a big part of any success we've had as an organization. He's a special player, both on and off the ice. He means a lot in the locker room, and I think everyone could acknowledge his importance on the ice and his importance to our team. Well, that's great, but are you signing him? Like, are you talking to him? In a cap world, we have to try and fit the pieces together, Sweeney acknowledged. We've had very, very good discussions with Tory's group, but we haven't found the right landing spot. And that's understandable given the circumstances of where the cap being and his value both to us but also in a potential open market situation honestly you know the cap uncertainty i think plays into boston's hands here okay well if the cap's going to be fucky there's less incentive to go to the open market for him yeah because it's going to be fucky for everybody exactly and if he's been openly willing to take a discount in boston then well in that case, that should already put him into the into the neighborhood of where uh, of where he's going to land. So I think that actually works significantly to Boston's to Boston's advantage. Plus, because of the, I would I would think that there'd be an element if your crew from Krug's point of view if you're of unfinished business on account of the especially if we don't get playoffs at all, which is to be perfectly frank is what I expect. I genuinely think there will not be a Stanley Cup this year. <sighs> I have an outside-the-box thinking solution for Krug. Okay. Sign a one-year deal. Let the let the cap recuperate. See where it is after that. You may be able to get more in the, after that one year. The the only I, I see where you're coming from that, and I was sort of thinking it a bit. The only caveat is that there's still the issue of um. Uh, okay, Char will be cheap. Char is not going anywhere else. We're bidding against no one there. Sure. There's the backup goaltender position, and then you have DeBrusque, Bjork, and Grizzlick all as RFAs. So you have to find the means to fix all of those cheaply, because odds on a one-year deal probably have to pay a premium. That's fair. Like, if you if we have the mean, if, if, if Sweeney figures out how to fix those other parts, like, honestly, like, um, and DeBrusque is the trickiest one, because I have no idea where to even start with that contract. Bridge contract yeah, he's, yes he scores goals but like it's so fucking so fucking inconsistent like i can't imagine the narratives that would, sh- would hover around jake debrusque if he was like you know yakov debruskov and it didn't talk like he was saskatchewan rendered flesh well he's from edmonton any but like my point is like if he wasn't canadian that media narratives about debrusque would be ugly even boston you think looking at like brandon carlo's contract his two years, what is it, 2.85? Uh, yes. What do you think about something comparable to that? Maybe a little less. And the bridge for DeBrusque is probably closer to three and a half because of his, because of his goal scoring. Really? Yeah. Almost yeah. certainly. Especially almost a long term for him has a hard year. floor. 
a long term would have a hard floor of five million. And I don't think he's actually worth it, but that's where it would land because of his goal scoring. <sighs> Goals come at a premium, and I understand that, and I'm giving him the credit. I just like he's he's got a direly flawed game in almost every other respect, in my opinion. <laughs> he's streaky. The streakiness is insane. Yeah, he can go very many games without producing a point, and it's frustrating. He'll have a he'll have a streak where he'll score like fifteen goals in seventeen games, and then he won't score anything for the next twenty. Yeah, it's like like the other RFA's are easy. Like Bjork, you get him like a two year at one million at a million five a year for something or, or something like that. Sure, um, Grizzlick, he's probably about a you, you could probably get Grizzlick for something similar to oh say. Kevin Miller's expiring contract. What is that, 2.5? 2.5 two, 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 two a year for four years or something like that. That's that's probably more or less what you can like realistically ask for Grizz, especially because Grizzlick hasn't had a super season, right? And and he's is he arbitration eligible as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Hard to see that he would win an arbitration case with this season. I know they have to take all the body of work into play, but this season, remember his just raw counting stats aren't anything special, right? I mean, this season, incidentally, despite not being great, is his best scoring season at twenty one at twenty one points. His eighteen nineteen season, his good season, was always, it was eighteen points in two fewer games. Fair enough. I think they should keep him either way. I like Rose a lot. Oh, but... I, I I think so too. But uh, anyway, the only tricky one here is 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 the backup goaltender. Given the way they like deploying things, you need they probably can't lean on go with Vladash yet next year. So I don't know what they're going to do. I wonder if Halak would be willing to take a one year deal. Here's the thing too: is there is a window to there to be able to throw a lot of one year deals around because the amount of money the Bruins have coming up a year later. It's true. Rask and Krejci both expire at the end of 2021. That's like fourteen some fourteen two five right there or something like that. Likewise, Corrali and Lindholm and, well, Kasha and Richie and Carlo. Okay, a bunch of these are contracts that you have to, that you have to solve, but, like, there's a lot of money coming off the board. I don't know how you do it. I don't know. I, I, I think there's some merit in trying to get Krug to a one-year contract and figure it out in a year when there's more money available. But at the same token... Yeah, that's what I would try to do. At the same token, you know, Krug is... is, is Krug and Brad are the leadership are the leaders of this team, and then within two years, Krug, Brad, and Quinn. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Those are the, that's your two A's and your C right there, with those three. My my money would be on Captain Krug with with, with, with alternates Marshawn and Croy, and Coil. Is my is assuming Krug gets resigned in a post Bergeron in a post Bergeron post Chara world. Which I would again, agree. We know my position on that, even though me, even though it upsets even me. <laughs> on see, the I wonder. <laughs> see, I wonder if you tell Krug that right there, that gives him more incentive to either a work out a long term deal or b take the one year deal with the understanding that we're working out a long term deal. You know what? I'm just gonna hope that uh, Donnie knows how to manipulate these situations he has in the past sweeney kicks ass internal internal contract negotiations unless they're with chris wagner so (laughs) (laughs) and i mean i hate to say it but 
I'm pretty sure Sweeney like studied economics in school. Pretty sure he has a he he has his bachelor's in that at least from Harvard. From Harvard, yeah. So I I think that he, if he if there's a if there's a scenario to be found, I have faith that he'll find it. A little more other news. Swayman was announced yesterday as the winner of the Mike Richter Award, so the best goaltender in NCAA hockey, and didn't win the Hobie, the Hobie Baker. He was a finalist, though. That was pretty good. He was one of the three finalists, but he did not win. Just, just thought I'd get that in there. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Previous Bruins property to win Mike Richter Award, of course, includes Zane McIntyre. Let's hope this goes better than that. <laughs> oh, yes. I hope so. Okay. Who won the Hobie Baker? Scott Perunovich. So, uh, defenseman uh, was drafted by fucking St. Louis. Oh, oh fuck them. Louis. Fuck St. Louis. It's time for our listener submitted question. And this time it's from Claire Bates at Board as a Panda on Twitter. Just wondering who your seventh player award would go to for this season. Would love it if you could discuss it on the next podcast. Well, we're a couple of weeks late, but we can talk about it now. Brandon Carlo. Brandon Carlo. Brandon Carlo. That's who I think should get it. I don't think he will get it because Bruins fans forget that he exists sometimes because he's not offensively minded. Counterpoint, though, I mean, like, seventh player voters tend to like themselves. I tend tend to always vote routinely vote for young players who are progressing exactly as as planned and expected of them. Because, like, they just say, oh, and young players stepping up, that means they deserve it. No, it just means they're actually progressing in their fucking career, guys. Come on, breathe. Seventh players for someone that's doing stuff that you don't expect them to be capable of. Now, that said, I don't know what my answer is. Give me a minute. Go to Tim. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still thinking, too. Because I can't give it to Parlindholm, so. I mean, he has been better than uh, I think we expected him to be, but, like, also, eh. Yeah, I can't, I can't give it to Par. So I have to think. Hmm. I think it's Brandon Carlo myself, but I think who they will vote for is Charlie Coyle. Yeah, that's probably a fair call. There are oh, and there is legit case here for Coyle exceeding expectations, but like not like seventh player award exceed, uh, exceeding. Like last year was like last year was cut and dried. Obviously, like definitely, obviously, no fucking no fucking question asked. Chris Wagner. But, like, other times where we've had players that obviously should have won it, they didn't. Like, say, for example, Chris Kelly losing it to Tyler Sagan in 2012. That was bullshit. <laughs> Chris Kelly got 20 goals that season, and he was Chris Kelly. <laughs> I, I don't agree with the fans most often. But, you know, I'm not saying that Charlie Coyle meets the standard. But one year, they voted for David Pasternak, who obviously... Again, Tyler Sagan won one year. Yeah, so I'm just saying it makes sense to me if somebody wanted to say Charlie Coyle. If you looked at his body of work with the Bruins last regular season, and then you saw what he did in the playoffs, obviously, he has built off of what he did last regular season. You know, who, on, based on the same argument, who is a sneaky, not bad pick, despite the fact the amount of guff he talk, talk, took because of how long it took him to score a goal because people are fucking dumbasses, and he's a defenseman. This isn't actually his job. McAvoy has been actually like a truly dominant first pairing defenseman this season, quietly the entire way through. Yep. And honest more nights than not, he's dragging Chara around, not the other way around at this point. <laughs> I mean, not saying that Chara requires dragging around, but let's face it, 
Char has been the support staff on that pairing, not McAvoy. <laughs> However, this is what we are expecting to see of Charlie McAvoy. And again, voters would not vote for him on account of that whole goal thing, even though it's not really relevant to the discussion. <laughs> Still has 32 points. I always look at it as more of a popularity contest than anything else. That's what it seems like well, to me. Well, of course, it's because it's a fan vote. Of course, it's a popularity contest. Not, you know? I know, but my answer, it might have seemed like I gave absolutely no thought to it, but I think that's who should win the 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 seventh player vote, and I don't think that's who will. That's why I said Charlie Coyle, because he's infinitely more popular. I mean, it's right. like, I feel like we have to put it in these, these terms, because otherwise we will... If we just go, this is the person who should win. This is the player who should win. We're going to find out that they're not going to win and we're going to be vaguely disappointed. So, you know. All right, I have my answer. All right. I'm waiting for it. So I think you're right. I think Coyle ends up winning. I think that that makes sense. And that's who I was thought. That's who I think is who was thinking was going to win anyway was Coyle. But despite the number of games played, I'm going to go with Jeremy Lozon. I, I think Lausanne is a really good pick. That's, I was going to say it. I couldn't bring myself to it just because of the number of games played. You know who's an interesting one? Maybe not this season. And I know he's won it once because I just had to go I had to go search it. David Craigie needs some sort of lifetime achievement award for this sort of thing. Sure. He's always there. He's always consistent. Boston fans hate him for well, not hate him, but like ignore him and pretend he's garbage for some reason, despite the fact he's been routinely a top forty-five center in the league. Even his worst seasons, a lot of seasons he's been he's been within the top thirty, which makes him a top line center in most teams. Um, <laughs> I think the thing I've noticed about Krejci this year is that he's sneaky dangerous. Yeah, he always has been. It's just it's. It's just really I mean, he, apparent this year. That's all. I mean, that game that I was watching last week, like he came back and scored like the last two goals in regulation and then Tory Krug won it in overtime. It's like, yeah. Against the Wild, yeah. That's pretty amazing. And he was sneaky about it for the most part. So I'm not sure that seventh player is the that award I would give him. But, you know, because I always look at like, if you're in the top six, you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be the seventh player. <laughs> I agree. I mean, like, uh, I mean, he, again, he's going to unfortunately, f like, long term, fall into that, you know, black hole of uh, Wayne Cashman. Super, super high on games played. Wayne Cashman is um, super, super high on games played. Good points. Long career with Boston. Critical player of a variety of good teams. Just always, you know, behind uh, any number of other more important players. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only good thing for Krejci's long-term legacy <clears throat> with this team is that is nifty is nifty getting his number retired is the only hope Krejci has of getting the recognition he should he, he should eventually get by the team. <laughs> I think he he is underrated. I have at times in the past when I didn't know any better wanted him to be traded, but then I'm like I've wisened up and I see his value. I just feel bad. I feel bad for Krejci because I just don't feel like he has the two right or two correct people on his sides. That's all. That's fair. Again, I, I've struggled for a long time. What really constitutes the right, the correct people for Krejci, right? Like, I don't real. I know people always say, well, look, look, when he had Luch and Horton, I'm like, yeah, but like, that was like the exact right moment for anybody to have those two players on their wing. Yep. Before or after, it would have been bad. 
Um, so I don't necessarily think they were the right wingers for Krejci. It's just that they happened to be there at the right time for them to be useful. Fine. Then I want that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that request I mean... has nothing to do with Krejci then. <laughs> well, no. I mean, in a way it does because he can work so much better with the right people at the right time. All I can say is look at his point totals last year and the sheer ridiculous numbers of, of wingers he went through, including an alarmingly large amount of Joachim Nordstrom. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I'm just here's, saying. Here's the other thing with Krejci, too. In the playoffs, look at Boston's three cup runs with him. In 10-11, 23 points in 25 games. In 12-13... 26 points in 22 games last year, 16 points in 24 games. He's got 103 career playoff points with the Bruins. 103. People wouldn't expect that, but he does. 132 games, 103 points. I'm, I'm not saying anything bad about Krejci. I'm just saying that I wish he, I wish he had some people who could do a little more work. And even though he's got good numbers and stuff, I think if he had, people who were maybe a little flashier and better on his sides, then he would get the recognition in some way. I think he would have benefited having Pasternak on his wing the last couple of years. He might've gotten, he might've gotten more recognition had that been the case. I think we've all come up with our answers, right? Yeah. I think for me, it's Lozon. I think he, has played a lot better than expected, even though it's only 19 games that he played this season in Boston. For me, I mean, the reason why he played over the past couple weeks of the season is because he earned it, and Sweeney and the rest of the coaching staff and the front office trust him. And I think that's big. That's huge. So for me, he would be the seventh player award winner. I do think, however, that Coyle ends up winning it. Carlo and Coyle. Carlo should win it. Coyle will. You know, looking at the history of seventh player award, there's years where the same player has won it two years in a row, and that shouldn't be fucking possible. Mm-mm. Who? And also, like, like one of the ones that did it two years in a row was Bill fucking Garen. Fucking Bill, Bill Garen was a genuine like tier two players. star his entire career. Why on earth would he be someone that gets a seven gets an unexpected contribution award? Like Tim Thomas oh. did win it two years in a row in 05, 06, and 06, 07. And yeah, those were fair because he came out of literally fucking nowhere and turned out to be a good goalie. And those were some bad teams. Sure. But like you should never win this, win this kind win seventh player twice. Of course. I mean, know, Pasta and Brad have both won it twice already, right? But if, like, by, by its very nature, you shouldn't win it twice. No, you shouldn't. And Bill Guerin, one of the best. North American or one of the best you know, uh, American hockey players to ever play shouldn't be winning twice. I could uh, I could make an argument for why I think that you could be awarded it. Maybe not two times in a row though, but okay, win it okay. twice. If, if, next, if next year Wagner comes back and scores fifteen goals again, yes, there you go. Especially after how like comprehensively not good he's been this season <laughs> right and i was thinking about maybe a player who battled back through a really horrible injury so okay yeah treating it treating it sort of master tennis yeah i could see that too yeah right right so if, if kevin miller could make it back and then play at a high level or at least a high kevin Le miller level then maybe you know what i mean also you know i mean again i understand why but you know who's never won 
Patrice. Patrice. Well, you know what? I mean, when you already are perfect, like how many, how much more perfect can you be? I mean, there probably would have been a pretty good case for him winning in 0304, but you know, Andrew Raycroft was putting together a Calder season at the time. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so Raycroft. I do have a bonus seventh player prediction for next season. <laughs> yes. I think it's going to be Kasha. I think he's primed to be like seventh player award winner just because if he has like any type of good season, I feel he's going to get it. And I expect him to have a good year next year. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Like I know what she was cooking when I came down and I can't math out why it's going off as a result. (laughs) Is she talking to you in the background? No, she's on the phone, I think, as well. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have to see if that works, Tim. I don't, I'm not going to make predictions for next year because I'm I'm not in that business. Not taking out the tarot cards, not looking at a crystal ball. I don't have a crystal ball. Well, my crystal ball is more of a aluminum can at this point, but hey. Oh, well, at least it's not a bottle of black velvet. <laughs> oh no. I'm I'm on a wicked big seltzer kick, so I am too. It's just non-alcoholic. <laughs> anyway, okay. So, I think uh I think we've answered that question. I think we're all set to go. So, you want to do the thing, Jeff? Listeners, you've been listening to Barely on Topic. Um, you can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, wherever your favorite podcasts are found. If you like us, rate us some stars, write a review, tell your friends. You can follow us on Twitter at Barely on Topic or on Facebook at Barely on Topic Podcast. And then, of course, for the true masochist or indoor enthusiast, there's not a lot of air between those two things. There's, of course, our individual Twitter accounts. I am at Dr. Hand Grenade. I am at Tim A. Richardson. And I am at beep, 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 dot com. <laughs> also known as FBA from RI, because it turns out onomatopoeia makes for bad website. <laughs> makes for bad URL. <laughs> not if it's spelled out beep, beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> Tim? Still stay the fuck inside. Also wash your hands. Also distance yourself socially. Fuck all. Wear a mask. <laughs>